Welcome to Umbrella Rebellion. I'm Marcy. And I'm Dee. We are finding healing after leaving a cult. We will be discussing abuse and personal experience with the ATI, IBLP, and fundamental churches. Trigger warning. This podcast may contain descriptions of various forms of abuse. Please take care for your safety and well-being while you are listening. If the content becomes too much for you to handle, please turn this off. We hope to expose harmful teachings that lead to and justify abuse. With the hope that those that are experiencing abuse can find support and escape from it. Welcome to Umbrella Rebellion. Hey, Marcy. Hi, Dee. Hey, everybody. This week on the podcast, we are going to talk about leaving the cult. Our personal experience with our transition out of the cult, stepping away from those teachings, our family dynamics during that transition period, and kind of how our families reacted to it, our struggles, our triumphs, all those things. (laughs) (laughs) And then we're going to kind of talk about, you know, just some common things that we've seen from other people's Um, perspective that we've seen in the recovery groups that we're in and just kind of how it really differs kind of from family to family, how it's received when a child leaves the faith or the cult of IBLP ATI. For those that are new here, Marcy and I are former members of the IBLP Institute and Basic Life Principles and ATI Advanced Training Institute cult. It was founded by Bill Gothard, who, if you go to the other videos, we tell you all about it. It's also the organization that the Duggars belong to, their homeschool stuff. And they've done presentations and stuff at some of their big meetings and stuff. A few things. First of all, we want to send our love and our prayers and thoughts with the people of Ukraine it is so sad to see what they are going through. I cannot even imagine it. And for the countries that are taking in the refugees, our thoughts and prayers go out to y'all. And there's just so much, so much heartache and destruction. And, you know, our just, our heart goes out to y'all. And I don't, I don't even know if we have any Ukrainians that watch our show, but if we do, we are thinking of you and we, you know, just can't even imagine what y'all are going through. I just didn't even, man, I knew Putin was not a good person, but I just never thought this day and age that we would be World War Three brink of world war three coming on it's just like i just didn't even it's crazy it's crazy crazy. so yeah so our hearts go out to all of y'all so we are on youtube you can subscribe to our channel we are slowly taking up our way to the monetization level for those that don't know for youtube you have to have a thousand subscribers and four thousand watch hours And I think we're a little over 3,000 watch hours, which I am so excited about. (laughs) So if you know anyone who might be interested in listening to our podcast, please share it with them and ask them to subscribe to our YouTube channel. It will help us reach monetization. It takes a lot of time and effort and energy and money for the podcast stuff like microphones (laughs) and the stream yard. So it does cost us a little bit of money. So if you subscribe to us, it doesn't cost any money out of your pocket, but it will help us to get to the point where we can get ad revenue. And we would really appreciate that support. So if you're listening to us on the audio podcast platforms, we would really appreciate a five-star review. You can do that on Spotify now. They have a new feature where you can give us a star rating and we would really appreciate that five star because we're awesome and funny and we make you laugh and cry about cults. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, on Apple podcast, if you just leave us a little message, you know, I hate you girls. Y'all are ugly. I don't know. I don't care where you can say whatever you want. Just leave us five stars. (laughs) That helps us with the algorithm, getting us out there to more people, to listen to us crazy girls talk about our experience in the cult. 
And let's see, we do have merch. We have two t-shirts. You can get either the Umbrella Rebellion logo or you can get the Freed from Tyranny one if you feel that you are in the group of people who have been freed from the tyranny of the cult or you just want to show your support. We would really appreciate that. All right, Marcy, why don't you go ahead and start today with kind of your story about leaving? Okay. So for me, it started as a slow process. I just started questioning some of the teachings, nothing specifically, just really kind of beginning to balk at some of the requests they were making of us or the teachings that were being done on staff meeting nights and because they were getting crazier and crazier. And Mm -hmm. so my, my logic was saying, this is getting really, really weird. And then I started doing things like I would listen to music that we weren't normally allowed to listen to, you know, with the rock beat in it, started exploring some of those other things, watching movies on my computer (laughs) that we weren't allowed to do. (laughs) I would sit in my car with my laptop and watch a movie out in the car. And the rock music was fairly benign. It was old country. (laughs) Yeah. So consequently, I know a lot of old country because of that. And then, yeah, watching movies on my laptop, I got one that had, that was when they first came out with, you know, this, the CD thing that could play movies on it. Oh, the DVD. Yes. The DVD in it. And so I would watch movies in there in my car. Had a certain parking place where nobody could observe me. Right. Right. Occasionally a friend or two would, would join me. But after that, I got moved from headquarters to another training center for the last three months of my stay because I was working with Verity. And so the main head staff of Verity had stated in at headquarters in Chicago, but they had sent the rest of the staff to Flint, Michigan at, to a training center there. And they were running the program there with the students. And then we would travel back and forth a lot. And Mm -hmm. there was a falling out between Mr. Gothard and the director of Verity. And so we got sent to, we got booted to Flint, Michigan. He wouldn't let us stay at headquarters anymore. So we got sent over there. So I spent the last three months there and I went into a deep depression Mm -hmm. because I was starting to see the dark side. I started seeing Mr. Gothard do some really bad things with the program. I knew and trusted the director and saw Mr. Gothard lie. So all of those things, my world kind of crashed in on me with that whole situation. And I couldn't eat some of the food. I was allergic to a lot of the food at the training center. And so I wasn't eating much. Mm. I lost a huge amount of weight. Um, And so I was not well of body or mind, which eventually led me to quit and leave Mm. Mm and come home. So by a friend of mine, this is, this will just tell you how much weight I lost in a short amount of time. She was getting married. And so we had taken measurements for me to be her in her wedding party. Right. Mm-hmm. And from the time that I first took the measurements, I was really tiny. And then I went home and I had been home for um, maybe six weeks and mm-hmm. I had gained back enough of healthy weight that when I sent her a second set of measurements, she was angry with me because the, oh, no. the dress wasn't going to fit. And she had already made like cut out the dress and everything. And she was going to have to let it out a whole bunch. Oh wow! So that just showed that was just a clue to me when I got home, how emaciated mm. I had become at the training center Wow! versus the healthy, you know, eating more healthily at home or yeah. just the availability of food. I still was in a deep depression when at home, it was better, but it I remember my parents coming to me one day when I was having an all-out panic attack, just crying and didn't know what to do. And they were like, Marcy, you have to stop this. You you have to stop. And I was like, I can't stop. Like, I don't even know what's happening to me or my body at, at this moment in time. There wasn't mm-hmm. any understanding or acknowledgement about mental health at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so pretty quickly after that, I got a job. And I think within a few months, I got my own apartment and just started working as an office person and kind of went out on my own. My parents fought me on that too. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, I had not been touch, taught anything about budgeting or how to pay bills or any of those adult life things. So it was very much a learning curve. And I'd never really had a job outside of headquarters either, like a normal job. So that was right. another 
learning curve. They were mad at me. They didn't, they told me no about moving out, but then they ended up helping me to a certain extent because they realized that I was going to find help whether they allowed it or not. Mm-hmm. And mom kind of, when I moved into that first apartment, she, an olive branch was extended. She brought me like some spices for my spice cabinet. I had nothing. I had oh, wow. absolutely nothing. no dishes, no, maybe two towels, like and a bed. And I ended up just, you know, finding things. People would give me things, that type of thing. Yeah. Um, so she did try in that, in that gesture to help me set up my house. When I decided to not wear like the normal dresses and, and skirts that they required, my parents had required that of me since I was 12. Mm-hmm. So when I started bucking that rule, they would, they would tell me that I couldn't do it at home. So I would put pants on underneath my skirts, go out to the whatever church function I was doing and, and then put it, the skirt back on before I got home. The purpose being was because they were for sure and certain that I was going to damn my siblings to hell and lead them down the path of unrighteousness if they saw me wearing pants because I was not being under authority. And Because uh, pants are evil. Because pants are evil. Right. You look at your butt. <laughs> right. Because skirts can't do that at all. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so the ridiculousness I'm, of that now is is right. laughable. But at the time, it was it was a huge deal for me to do anything against parents. Right. You know, because that just wasn't allowed. It it represented much risk for me. <laughs> I, I'm sure. I'm sure mm. it was like, you know, it was the equivalent of a normal teen going to get like a piercing or a tattoo without right. their parents. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But I was 24. Right. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. Like, <laughs> late bloomer. <laughs> You know, that ha- I, I find that that happens in the cult is you don't reach your teen rebellious years until your 20s because yes. you're so repressed. <laughs> yes. You have to relearn everything that you would normally learn in teenage years. You have to kind of yeah. do it in adults. And it usually results in some harder consequences because you didn't learn it when the consequences were easy. Right. You're learning it when the consequences are hard. And right. consequently, with all of this, since I didn't know how to budget, I went to a, into a lot of debt. It took me three years of two two jobs at the same time to get out of it because I didn't know what I was doing then. That was part of the price I paid for getting out. So. <laughs> Sorry, my dog's freaking out. I don't know what he's <laughs> freaking out about. Okay, so, so you kind of transitioned into your own housing, and mm-hmm. that was kind of not received by your parents, and then they kind of like... A little bit accepted it. So, yes. you know. I still got a lot of pushback, but I think that, I think they were a little taken aback that their sweet, timid, merciful Marcy, because I was a Mercy, was even having enough backbone to say no. Because oh, right. I didn't, I had never done that before. So. Hold on. <laughs> what are you doing? What? Come here. Come here. What? What do you want? What? I see his shadow. <laughs> He was like on my recliner, like, oh, he's trying to climb on. Oh my Do you want to go out? God. Okay, he's hold so on. Cute. Okay. <sighs> he was like sitting on there, like whining at, like, oh, oh, oh. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> oh my God, you need something. I don't know what you need. That, you need that sounds like majority. That's, that's his sound he makes. He has different things, different sounds for different things he needs. <laughs> Freaking pit bulls. All right. So, okay. So I was asking, like, when you moved out, when you came back home after you had moved out, did they like give you a hard time about like what you were doing in your life and how it was affecting your siblings? As like, so as- once you were on your own, I, they, they would come at me about it every now and then. Mm-hmm. Um, but once I wasn't in the home, it represented less danger because then I wasn't influencing my siblings. So that was the core part of their argument was that I was going to influence my siblings and draw them away too and cause them to stumble. And they didn't want me to do that to them. So So. you were, you were out of sight, out of mind. Yes. So it was less effect on your siblings, supposedly. 
Yes, supposedly. Now, that isn't to say that rock music didn't happen in the car when they were riding with me. <laughs> and years later, my I did try to honor it most of the time, but I think some things did slip through. And my siblings would probably remember that better than I do. But my sisters came back years later and said, Marcy, we knew that you had pants underneath your skirts. Like we knew what you were doing. You thought you were being so sneaky, but we knew. And I was like, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I was being sneaky at some point I quit caring. <laughs> right, right, and, right. Um, I think, I think it, it progressed from where I was, I would wear a skirt out and I would have a pair of pants packed and I would change at the quick trip, the gas station at the corner mm -hmm. in their bathroom and then continue on to my destination. And, and after a while I got tired of that, and so I just sort of put pants underneath the skirt, which of course you would be able to see or realize that there was something under there. And I think that's when they caught wind of it. Yeah. Yes. As my sisters got older, my brother was kind of his own person and the parents let him do a little bit more just because he was male, but it broke them free faster. Mm -hmm. So earlier in age. So I was 24 when this happened. Nick was a little bit younger. Becky and Kat were uh, even younger than that. But when they got out, and stopped following those type of rules. So it just started the chain reaction. <laughs> so in a sense, I did. I did lead them down, down <laughs> to freedom instead of certain, you know, damnation. <laughs> right. So when your parents, like, saw that your siblings were following your path to, we call it freedom... I'm yes. sure they called it rebellion. Mm -hmm. How, how did they respond to, I guess, you know, what, what you're comfortable with sharing? How did they respond to them? And did they try to blame you for it? I think by the time that, cause Becky's seven years younger than me. Mm -hmm. So by the time she got to the point where she was going to buck rules like that, I was, had moved farther away and then overseas. And so I didn't, they didn't have a lot of, contact with me that would, you know, make it easy for them to really give me a hard time about it. Also, I was on the mission field. And so they really couldn't argue with me there. So <laughs> you're still serving God, right? Yes. So, yeah. Yes. Maybe yeah. I redeemed myself a bit right, right. <laughs> for my previous rebellion. So I didn't get a lot of backlash from when the girls did it. They got a lot of backlash. Yeah. They were given a really hard time about it too, but it didn't really come back to haunt me too much later we would have an, an occasional conversation and a d d disagreement there was there was a lot of because my mom was the one that addressed these things not my dad she was kind of his spokesperson mm -hmm. um, she there was a lot of going back and forth of we don't understand why you're doing this why would you do this to the family why are you ruining our reputation and then they would go to the pastor and talk to the pastor about me because I was so rebellious. And then they would come back and talk to me and they would say, we're going to agree to disagree. So mm. I think that's what the pastor finally told them to do was just to uh, agree to disagree. They had a more balanced view on um, adulthood because part of the problem here too was that there was no, even though we were supposed to be adults from 12 on and our responsibilities at home were very much adult responsibilities. Once we shifted into having our own mind and thinking on our own and trying to do stuff independently, independence was really, really looked down on. Like mm -hmm. it was a very codependent viewpoint and they really, really had a hard time letting us be our own person outside of the family unit. But the pastor was, they had moved churches since then. And so the pastor was a little bit more, had a little bit more understanding of that. And so he gave them the advice to just let it be. <laughs> I agree to disagree. She's an adult. So that I think that at least stopped some of the conversation with mom because mm. she had to take the pastor's advice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can't fight with that. Right. <laughs> I mean, you know, she'd be stepping outside that umbrella if she did, right? Exactly. So. Exactly. Things would come up all the time, even years down the road where we were single adults. All of us struggled with them recognizing our individuality. And it, even 15 years later, it still comes back out sometimes mm -hmm. where they'll make some comment or they'll try to make a decision for us. 
when we've been on our own for years or, right. you know, especially for the girls that are not married. Mm. So once, once I got divorced, I automatically went back into that category. Um, and then some sisters that were, that were also divorced and therefore did not have a male authority over them. Oftentimes we would buck heads about life decisions that we made that they thought were unwise. Oh goodness. Cause we, we obviously can't be adults on our own, even after doing it for 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> and living in a different state. <laughs> yes, you must do it my way because my way is superior to your way and yes. my way is the right way because it's God's way. Yes, and even after children, that was another thing that really, really hit. I'll tell you a story. So when, when I moved back, when I got out of the abusive marriage, right? When I escaped, I came and stayed at home with mom and dad for six months before I got my own place. And... In that amount of time, one of my kids, I had a 10-week-old and, and a baby that was under two. The One of the kiddos got an ear infection. I think it was probably Embry, my, the two-year-old, because she had a lot of problems with that. So that was something, a struggle that was happening in their home. And they were helping a lot with the kids. So one day I was sitting in the living room and I was nursing the baby. And the way that the rocker was turned around, it was my back to dad. And they were sitting at the dining room table behind me, my mom and my dad, and they were having a conversation. And the it went something like, my dad said to my mom, so what are we going to do about Embry's ears? And mom said, what are we going to, I don't know, what are you talking about? And he said, what should we do? Like, should we take her to the doctor? Should we have tubes put in? Like, does she need medicine? Like, he was discussing it with her as though he was the dad. And mom was the mom and they had to make the decision about how to handle this child's medical stuff. Mm. And I was sitting in the room nursing my second baby and he's talking about my children like that. And so I said, <laughs> mom here, I will make the decisions and I will decide what will happen with her. Mm. And it, it was a eye opening experience to realize as soon as I was out from underneath that husband's authority, mm -hmm. and as soon as I was back in there in that home, that was like just automatic. Right. I'm uh, the authority of my home and all decisions have to go through me. Therefore, if there's a child in that home, whether it's my child or my grandchild, I get to make decisions for them. Mm -hmm. And it's not even probably conscious. No, I don't think it was for him. It was a very natural comment to him to try to discuss it with mom. Now, mom had enough forethought and she had walked away from some of some of the thinking enough mm -hmm. or she had come to understand her adult children enough to know that we could make our own decisions, especially when it came to me as a mother. Like she had been really careful about letting me make mom decisions and and respecting those decisions. And she still is really good about my mom decisions to this day. So That's she good. has come leaps and bounds from when we started this to her understanding of it now, which is why she kind of backpedaled when dad said that was like, what? I don't know what you're talking about. Why, why are we talking about this? <laughs> like, why are we dealing with this? I'm not sure. I really don't know. And, and she's come to me on multiple occasions and asked, it was this okay for me to do, or was this okay for me to say, or, or, you know, I was uncomfortable with this and I wanted to get your opinion. So she's much more open-minded now about that. Small things still come up, mm -hmm. but it's much better than it used to be. Right. They kind of like, um, y'all have kind of like established some boundaries in your relationship. Yes. Uh, so that took all six kids establishing some really hard boundaries and really, really getting frustrated with them over multiple years for them yeah. to finally figure out they couldn't push those boundaries. So mm -hmm. after all of that, after all that really hard boundary work for all mm -hmm. six of us with them at different stages in life, now they see those boundaries and they're more respectful of them. And they only get maybe run over, you know, every now and then. <laughs> right, right. But then y'all are able to like quickly like, nope, nope. Yeah. <laughs> this is yeah. a boundary. Yeah. yeah. When they hit them, they, they slow down faster than what they did before. Right. And they don't argue with us anymore. Before they tried to convince uh, us of our, of our, convince us that we were confused or that that was not the right decision to make or that we were wrong. Yeah, I don't know. Um, 
multiple days of that. But right, right. Just trying to debate you back into yes the right way. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I did have a question. You had talked about when you were at Flint and when you were working with Verity that you had lost a bunch of weight because you weren't eating properly. And I was just wondering, like, did you ever go to anybody and say, I'm allergic to these foods and I can't eat them? And did they ever try to get you the foods that you could eat? I told them that I was allergic to, so I was allergic to things that would cause migraines. So um, like nitrates and lunch meat. Mm-hmm. And some things like that. And they said, oh, you know, well, thank you for telling us. And we're very sorry about that. And just try to eat something else. But that didn't mean that the, the, the only thing they provided for lunch wasn't going to be just sandwiches. Mm-hmm. And so I couldn't eat it <laughs> if it was just sandwiches. Right. Um, or I would eat, you know, I would eat whatever I could on what that they had laid out. I think that, so no, there wasn't much accommodation for for mm. that because they were buying in bulk MSG is in a lot of things. And I also could not eat the MSG. Mm. Um, I wasn't hungry a lot of the time. I was in such a deep, deep depression that right. I just would forget to eat. And mm-hmm. we were also being overworked. So yeah. we didn't have time to eat. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there were lots of hours in that job and I yeah. was trying to be cool on top of it. So I was trying to work a 40 hour a week job wow. and do school at the same time. They tried to provide us time to do our things, but it, it was too much of a startup. It was kind of a ridiculous schedule. Right. Right. Yeah. All of that came second to your job. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, so that kind of brings me to like, do, do you know what Gothard's teachings were about like food allergies? Cause I think I remember hearing something and I know there are some weird ones and I don't recall what they are. I know what it was. I think I was, it was when I was watching the basic seminar video. Oh yeah. And talked about bitterness being connected with the gut and that food, you know, like different things that happen mm-hmm. in your gut are related to bitterness. So if you have any GI problems, it would be because of bitterness. bitterness. That doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, that sounds vaguely familiar. Right. Yeah. <laughs> my, one of the very few areas that my mom didn't comply with was in the area of medical and mm. uh, food, a little bit with food, but she kind of chucked all that to the wind. That was one of the only parts that she did. Oh, wow. Okay. She, she was, she's very pro getting medical help when you needed it or medicine when you needed it or mm-hmm. um, that was kind of her thing. So, but but mental health wasn't addressed. So mm-hmm. um, if it was a diagnosable thing, mm-hmm. then like ADHD or autism or some kind of ailment, then that was okay. But the just having depression or um, a mental breakdown or, cause really what I had at the end there that for that last three months that ended me being there, I had a mental breakdown. There. Mm. And so I didn't even know what to call it. I didn't even have the words to, I, because I had never been taught that there was such a thing as a mental breakdown. Mm-hmm. Um, so it took me years later to figure out what that actually was and what was mm. happening. So at one point I was in my room there, I was hungry. My low, my blood sugar was low. So even if I wasn't realizing I was hungry, my blood sugar level was low. I had been sick a lot. I was very, very lonely and was overwhelmed with work and just completely unhappy and in a very dark place. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of lost it in my bathroom. I was just on the, on my knees, on the floor, just bawling and not in a sort of controlled way. So I was very loud <laughs> and I was praying. So I was, mm-hmm. I was asking for help and I was asking for like, what do I do? I don't know what to do. Mm. And I didn't realize that in that hotel, those hotel rooms walls were really thin, <laughs> really, really thin. Yeah. My last resort. So I had a car. I was one of the few people that had a car. So I decided that I just need to go for a drive. Now we weren't allowed after a certain time at night because Flint was dangerous. Mm-hmm. And 
the so we there were some rules like that but being on staff i could bend them a little bit and also at that point i really just didn't give a shit yeah (laughs) because i was too being too crazy with the depression and yeah i would say it almost bordered on a panic attack Mm -hmm. so so i stormed out of my room like came shooting out of my room and the, the the staircase was right across from my door and there were two people that had been standing in the staircase and their eyes were this big. <laughs> they had heard me in my oh, room. Wow. They knew that I was having some sort of meltdown. Oh. And when I came, they weren't expecting me to come busting out of my room like that, angry mm-hmm. and, and desperate. And so when I made it to the hallway and saw them, I knew I, I there was that realization that I had been heard. And <laughs> and that I was embarrassed, extremely, extremely embarrassed. Oh, yeah. And then went down to my car and took a drive and calmed down and came back. But th- then I had to face those same people the next day, which was really hard. <laughs> and I think at that point was when I got to that point and all that happened, that was the thing that was that made it click. I need to go home. I'm done. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it, if I'm at this level of emotional, you know, issue, then I, I need to be done. <laughs> yeah. He was like, I was crying out to Jesus. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yes. There was some level of that in there. Yeah, you know, yeah. at that point I was so done with that. that right. <laughs> right. Just like I'm done with this. This is ridiculous. <laughs> so for those of you who are not familiar, there is a teaching in IBLP and ATI about crying out to God. And there's stories about people who get on the floor and scream and shout and, you know, cry out to God. And yeah, they're all probably having mental breakdowns. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure that's not uncommon. Probably not uncommon. Not with this level of pressure. (laughs) You know, I mean, like even in real life in real jobs where, you know, you're a young person and your boss is, you know, grinding you to get something mm-hmm. done. I mean, it happens to a lot of people and even in everyday non-cult life. Yes. <laughs> it's yes. totally a human thing to have like mm-hmm. a breaking point and like I can't take it anymore. You yes. know, it's just, it's got a couple more layers because of the spiritual abuse and the control yes. and the, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So another thing that kind of struck me when you were talking about your parents and you had come home and you were depressed and they're like, you need to stop this. What do you think your parents were like, like asking you to stop, like being like, they wanted you to stop being sad. They, I think they wanted me to stop being sad. They also, there was a lot of tears and a lot of uh, emotion wrapped up in the crumbling of my world. Hmm. And so uh, totally normal human response. Okay. Totally normal human response yeah. to having your whole foundation of everything you've ever been taught crumble mm-hmm. beneath your feet. But they saw it. So emotion, emotion was not allowed very often in our home and, mm-hmm. and you, cause you're supposed to put on that ministry smile and mm-hmm. yield those rights and mm-hmm. make sure that everybody around you was okay. And so, and that also was my role in the family oh. was peacemaker as the firstborn and as a mercy, because that was my spiritual gift. We can get into that on another episode. Mercies were supposed to be peacemakers and we're supposed to be the loving, compassionate, meek and mild person. And, and that is the role I functioned in. I'm a very passionate person, like a lot mm-hmm. of them, very empathic, but a lot of that had been stuffed into a box and under lock and key for a long time. Cause those weren't allowed to be expressed. No um, repression of your true feelings because it's not godly to show any type of descent or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, not agreeing with your parents or the exactly. program. No, anger. no yeah. anger. Oh, no, no anger. No, I mean, laughing and, and all of that was okay. But as long as it was happy, but no negative emotions, no, no anger, no uh, sadness, because usually the sadness was connected to something that you wanted that you should have just yielded your rights to in the first place. Right. Because it's, yeah. Yeah. Because if you were just following God, there'd be no reason for you to be sad. Exactly. Exactly. So that, that also, 
let's disregard the fact that sometimes depression has nothing to do with your emotional status. And sometimes people with clinical depression are just depressed and they have absolutely no reason to be other than they have a chemical imbalance in their brain. Yes. Yes. So, um, what do you have to what do you have to be sad about? I don't know. The chemicals in my brain are telling me to be sad. Yes. My so life like, is great. You're but... at home. You're here. You're safe. You're, yeah. you're, if we gave you this new, they had opened up a new area of the house that they had remodeled. And so I got one of the back bedrooms and, and had been allowed to decorate the way I wanted. And so, and I was doing, um, I had continued the Verity program when I got home mm. for maybe a couple of months. But because it was a new program and the way that it was worked out, it was almost impossible to keep up with. And I just quit. (laughs) So I got enrolled in a couple of of courses that were way, way over my head, like level four Mm. courses when I should have been at a one, that kind of thing. But so, so that I think that they were basically just saying, stop crying, stop being sad, stop being upset about whatever you're upset about, because I, you know, I was bucking rules and and didn't was upset that all of these things were all the pressure of all of that conformity was being mm-hmm. asked of me. And I was really, really didn't want to conform anymore. And they couldn't understand why I was so upset about it because it had always been. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like yeah. you're, you're the compliant child that keeps yeah. peace and is, you know, kind and generous. And now you just want to say no to everything. I exactly. don't understand this yeah. new child. I terrible twos. <laughs> no to everything. <laughs> Somebody told me today, teenagers are just big toddlers. And I'm like, you're right. You're right. (laughs) And I really was going through some sort of teenage thing at 23. (laughs) They didn't know what to do with me. I had never tried anything like that. I had never shown any kind of um, non-compliance before. Right. And, you know, mix that with a huge amount of emotion. They were just like, we don't know what Marcy came back from headquarters. (laughs) We don't know this person. (laughs) Know this child, whatever child this is. Do do you think that they ever thought that you might have been possessed or had, you know, like, because that's kind of some of the teachings. It is. It really is. For the most part it would have to be extremely severe for a Baptist to admit that it would be a possession, especially because they still believed I was a believer and knew they don't believe that you can be possessed if you're a believer. So no, I don't think that entered their mind, but I know, I know I scared my mom several times with the level of crying because it was, it was to a panic attack level. I would be in a corner, Mm -hmm. you know, in a ball, you know, hugging my knees and just, just weeping. And yes, three years of emotion that you oppressed were finally coming out and you couldn't control it. I mean, like there's perfect explanation for it. They just didn't know. Yeah. I just didn't know how to, I didn't know how to tell them what I was experiencing. Right. And even if I did tell them what I was experiencing, they didn't understand it or said it was, it was not, it couldn't possibly be that because why would you go against these principles? Like it's right. not right. So right. You're causing this to yourself. You're rebelling. So yeah, you're going to be sad. <laughs> right, <you're> <laughs> right, and it's all—it's all just guilt about what you're doing and that you shouldn't be doing. So that's what this is: it's just guilt yeah. and sin, and yeah, yeah, yeah. okay, yeah, mm-hmm. that tracks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now to get both mom and dad together to come to me and have that level of discussion with me, where they're—I just remember them standing me over over me while I was in the floor, you know. And, in that balled up position that was extremely unusual. So that was, that was their level of an intervention. Mm-hmm. So, and I just said, I don't know why, I don't know why this is happening to me. I don't know right. why, you know, my body's reacting this way. I, I can't explain this to you, but I will not yield. <laughs> <laughs> yield on. I just won't. <laughs> I am going to sit in my corner and cry and you're going to have to deal with it. <laughs> yes. And listen to my rock music in the car and wear my pants. I mean, that's, that is just, that's the ultimate rebellion right there. <laughs> oh gosh, man. Oh, so where are things now with your, I mean, I know we've talked about it on other podcasts that everybody is out of ATI, IVLP, whole cult. Your parents have, you know, 
distance himself from it some, but still hold on to some of the beliefs. Mm-hmm. So how are the relationships today? So the relationships are relatively good now. I can have conversations with them. We keep it on easy subjects. We mm-hmm. don't go over ATI. We don't go over viewpoints like that. We don't talk politics. Mm-hmm. And we don't really talk religion. So we stay on safe subjects. Ah, boundaries. Yes. Boundaries. Yes. <laughs> Hard one boundaries. <laughs> so I would say really the relatively good relationships now. That's um, good. I, I know that some of the ideas and core beliefs are still there because they do occasionally come out, especially in traumatic situations. They automatically revert to those. Mm, and mm-hmm. so that's come out more more recently where I would thought that maybe some of that had gone by the wayside or had been forgotten or just let go of. And it wasn't. <laughs> and that always makes your heart sad when you think that they're a little bit more free than they are. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, it's, it's, but it's kind of like everybody has a progression, right? And yes, when, and we can all fall back into old habits so quickly and without even realizing it, Mm -hmm. you know, and I know I do that too. I mean, I know I still find myself, my brain functioning in some of those lies or principles um, and not even it's subconscious. I don't even realize I'm doing it. And then in a situation I'll say, oh, that was absolutely a planted thought from the cult. That is a th- cult thought. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to like mentally say, stop, replace that thought, say it three times and make a choice, you know, differently. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good thing to like stop and acknowledge it. And then think, okay, let me replace this thought with a logical Yes. Sane thought. <laughs> yes. Let me face this with truth. Yes. <laughs> yes. Is this cult teaching and wrong? Let me find the truth. And, yes. you know, sometimes you can't find it right away and you have to no. actually do some research and some work, but you're like, okay, this is not true. And if you just keep saying, this is not true, I'm not yes. sure what is, but I know this is not, you know, there is, there is an opposite for what this is. And I'm not sure what it is, but I'm going to find out. And I'm going to do the work to get there. Yes. <laughs> Yes. And there have been multiple times where, you know, on the bigger issues I have had to say, okay, Mm -hmm. we're going to go back and research that a little bit. The, the joy of having siblings that I'm very close with that have also walked out of it is that they have also done the research. So Mm -hmm. we would share research between ourselves when we were going through the bulk of that walking away and kind of finding ourselves about where we stood in our, what we thought and what we believed and who we were as individuals, because that was not allowed to be developed at home because right. you were the family. You were the cohesive family, codependent family. There wasn't any you in the middle of that. So right. um, you had to do the party line, basically. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You so had you, to think everything that your parents thought and mm-hmm. continue it. And if you faltered from that and then it was a reflection on them and mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Since music was limited, we didn't have music taste that we like. We had to figure out music taste that we liked, what we did and what mm-hmm. we didn't like. You know, just things that you would think would just be normal things that you just figure out about yourself while you're growing up. What what kind of foods do I like? What kind of music do I like to listen to? You know, they talk about in high school if you're in the goth group or if you're you know a jock or if you're a cheerleader or if you you kind of have you know, groups that you're in and you kind of figure out your personality and that, that was not there for us. Right. We had to figure it out on our our early, early adulthood. Um, So we would compare notes as we were doing research and, and then share what we had learned. We uh, didn't always come to the same conclusion, Mm -hmm. um, but we, we have found that we will share information like that. Mm -hmm. So your siblings, Obviously, y'all all don't think the same thing anymore, mm-hmm. and y'all vary in y'all's, you know, conclusions to your new truth. Mm-hmm. So how do y'all, like, you know, the parents can get a little bit crazy when it comes to trying to convince you that their way is right. How do the siblings work on that now that y'all are out of the cult? With my parents? How do they well, work? No, like, with within, you know, the relationships. Oh, within the our sibling group? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Okay. We are all very close. And if, if we disagree or if we have a question about something, it is an understood rule that we can always be open and honest with the other person and there's no judgment there. So that gives a lot of freedom to say, well, I don't agree with that, but, or this is usually it's more like, well, I researched that part and this is why I came to the conclusion that I came to, and we're able to have open, open discussions about it. And agree to disagree, huh? And agree to disagree. (laughs) That's awesome. That's awesome. I love that. I love that. Yeah. And most of the time, our differences in beliefs are very, very small. I think that each one of them has their own level as far as what they believe, how much they want to be involved in religion. So I'm probably, I'm still state that I'm a believer and still pray and still talk to Jesus and I will talk about it with them like that. They have have their own position on how comfortable they are with religion and whether they believe God is real or, you know, they've all found their equilibrium in that. That's good. That's good. That's awesome. I, yeah. It's really, I'm sure, you know, like, because y'all were going through a lot of the same things. I know y'all, y'all have quite a bit of an age difference between some of y'all, but like to be able to have that support group between the siblings and y'all are all at varying degrees of your journey and y'all have come to varying degrees of y'all's like where y'all land, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of, kind of for us, it's, we're a little more disconnected than that. We're not super, super close, but like we all have like specific things. We're close with the other sibling about, I guess is, yeah. you know, and, and some of our relationships are starting to get, closer you Mm -hmm. know so we're still in the i guess because there's a 20 year age gap between me and my little sister there was kind of a delay you know for some of the getting out of it you know Mm -hmm. it's actually been quite recent that some of my family's been out of it so Mm -hmm. yes so and see, I think the youngest one of us, the last two really weren't in it in their yeah. high school years. And so there's been quite a bit more time since any of us have been in it. I, I would say two things have contributed to good sibling relationships. I would say we moved a lot as um, kids, so we didn't have, and we were very isolated. So we didn't have a lot of other people that built relationships for us in the yeah. group, in the sibling group. Two, that we parented one another. So we've had multiple uh, discussions about how we parented each other. So I parented the younger siblings while I was there. When I moved out to Chicago, that helper of the family shifted to, skipped my brother, shifted into the next sister, and she took over big sister responsibilities and helping my mom run the home. And so she parented the kids, and it just moved down the line as each one left they they allowed the next two girls to go to college so Mm. so when they left and they're close together so they went about the same time we've talked about that a lot where we think that those relationships were forged in just having to figure things out together Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and Mm -hmm. and we did things like we did sibling nights and and really worked on relationship that way where we were just spending a lot of time together so y'all are obviously all pretty much living close enough to interact. Yes. And that's, yeah. that's another key. Yeah. We're, yeah. All, we're all within like, I think at like a four mile radius, maybe five. Oh, it hasn't, it hasn't always been that way. It hasn't always been that way, but yeah. yes. It's super close. <laughs> we've, yeah. we've each had, you know, our times where we lived in other States and for years at a time, but more recently oh, okay. we've been in the same area. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. I have one, my, my oldest sister is in Florida and my brother is in Oregon. Ah, oh yes, you're so, way like, like. I think the first week was was St. Louis, which was six hours away. <laughs> there might have been a couple times where they were further away than that, but and um, a couple of times where they were overseas. But yeah, mm-hmm. so for a while I was the only person that was living in the same town as my parents. So. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> did that get you extra attention? Like if they couldn't focus on the other kids, did they give you more grief? The thing, oh, so loaded question. It is because I like barely moved out. <laughs> 
I was back and forth living with them so much in my adult life that it was like I always kind of was the adult kid that got all the attention because I needed it because I needed a place to stay. So, you know, I moved back after I got, you know, from the Air Force and we can kind of go into that story in our next episode because it's been like 50 minutes. Has it really? Has <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it a whole lot longer than what I thought it would? <laughs> I guess we just have a lot to share. Yeah. It probably helped that you went first too, so you weren't so tired. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, today was long. We just came off the stomach bug. It was right. rough. <laughs> So, so I guess we'll kind of end our episode on that cliffhanger. Okay, um, little teaser there. You know. Little teaser of <laughs> did I get special attention or not? <laughs> and what kind is special? <laughs> so let's see. Anything else? Oh, I was scheduled to have an interview with Dine in psychology, but due to some scheduling conflicts, we weren't able to get together. We are working on getting a new date for us to do that, and hopefully we will have some collaborations with her in the future. We definitely want to talk about mental health on this channel. We are working on getting some podcasts together to talk about mental health, the different forms of abuse, recognizing abuse, you know, looking for red flags in relationships, whether they be intimate or parent, child, all that kind of stuff. So... Things are coming. It's just slow progress. Life happens. All that stuff. So hang in there. We got some more videos coming. <laughs> now, the other thing is the live for this month. So upcoming, we have a live podcast on the 22nd at 8.30 p.m. Central Time. And we would love for you to join us. Question and answer. You can type in your question. We'll answer it as well as we can or share our experience with you. And if you want to leave us any questions, you can leave them down in the comments below. You can find us on the social medias, Umbrella Rebellion, on Instagram, on Facebook. And if you are a former member of this cult or would like to be a former member of this cult, you can find our support group on Facebook. It is the Umbrella Rebellion official support group. And we would love for you to join us and find your community. So with that, we are going to say good night and thank you for joining the Umbrella Rebellion. Please come back next week and join the rebellion. Bye, guys. Bye.